This is the Ruminant Podcast, and I'm Jordan Marr. The Ruminant is a website and podcast devoted to sharing good ideas among farmers and gardeners. At the site, you'll find links to past episodes, as well as photo-based blog posts, essays, and book reviews. I hope you'll check it out. It's all at theruminant.ca. One recent post you'll find on the site is a short essay I've written about what it feels like when you've made so many changes to your farm business heading into a new season that you kind of lose your bearings a little bit and you have no idea how well or how badly you're doing. If you want to get in touch with me, you can write me an email, editor at theruminant.ca, or get at me on Twitter, at ruminantblog. Do you have a cool idea about farming or gardening that you'd like to share with my listeners? Consider recording a short audio clip and texting it to me. 250-767-6636 or email it as I said editor at theruminant.ca okay let's do the show all right hey everybody remember me Jordan Marr I missed last week I'm sorry it was real busy I struggled I struggled to be able to get an episode up so I just didn't put one up instead Anyway, that's probably going to happen. We've already talked about that, or I've talked about that. Sometimes you'll just get no episode, hopefully not very much. Sometimes you'll get a rerun, and hopefully most of the time you get brand new content. Uh, I'm talking about this summer period of craziness on my farm. It is really hard to get it together to uh, to produce this thing. It's not just the interviewing. It is finding the interviews, and then booking the interviews, and then recording the interviews, and then doing the post-production, and then posting it, All that, all that stuff. It's hard to do. So I'm going to, if you don't mind, not give myself a really hard time when I give you no episode or reruns, but I will try very hard to give you new content as much as possible. I, this week, had a, had a miracle happen. I didn't have any content once again, but I got a call from a former, well, kind of a guest. He's been on the show. He, he had a, a few clips that I shared on the show. I met Yusuf Darwich at uh, Permaculture Voices 2. We were roomies for a little bit in a hostel that we were staying in before the conference. And uh, we had a few meals together and just hung out a bit during the conference. He's a cool guy. Um, Yusuf is the current farm manager at the GVSU Sustainable Agriculture Project in Michigan. And uh, he formerly was on the program to talk a little bit about the cool things you can do with geographic information systems as regards farming. Um, But he called me out of the blue yesterday to give me a tip for stale seed bedding essentially he's found a way to to uh he's 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 located a source of recycled materials if you want to put tarps in your garden to to take your stale seed bedding one step more if you are a gardener a market gardener um i won't say much more because we get into it in the conversation we talk about stale seed bedding a bit which i've already talked a bit about on this show but uh you can hear a bit more we go into a bit more detail and then after that, we just talk a little bit about market gardening in general. So there's just a bit of uh, general stuff at the end. Hope you like it. And I hope to be back at you next week with some new material. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy. Uh, Yusuf okay. Darwich, thank you for accommodating my embarrassing error yesterday. <laughs> no reason. Yesterday, you called me out of the blue. Uh, we met at Permaculture Voices 2 conference and you gave some, uh, you gave me a recording with some suggestions for other farmers that has aired on a previous episode. And you called me out of the blue with a new tip, a new piece of advice, uh, which was awesome. And I ran inside and I got my recording equipment and I hooked it up and I went back outside where it was quiet and we proceeded to have a conversation. And then about two and a half seconds after we hung up, I realized I hadn't pressed record. <laughs> And now, 
And now I called you out of the blue and you're willing to re-record. So thanks, man. Mm-hmm. So we were talking, yeah. essentially, this is going to be another, another focus on stale seed bedding, which I've talked about on the podcast before. I've had um, other people talking about, um, but essentially it's uh, a method of weed control and weed suppression where you prep your beds ahead of time. And, and then you water them in and you let them sit for a period before you plant and you try and germinate the weeds ahead of time. So in a more basic form, you just do what I just described and then you would just lightly scuff the weeds off. Um, but some people, including author Jean-Martin Fortier in his book, The Market Gardener, advocate taking it a step further and covering your beds with a thick uh, plastic mulch, like a plastic tarp. Uh, anything that it's going to hold the moisture in and provide complete dark and keep it even warmer under the tarp and so that the weeds germinate and then they kill themselves because they have they have poor growing conditions they're just in the dark and they die and when you pull up the tarp it's bare so that's what we're gonna we're gonna touch on that again what uh what's your piece of advice for uh for listeners well so i i had heard that before and very interested and look i was looking for tarps and you know, kind of shopping around a little bit. I wanted something that was going to last for a long time, you know, because with any sort of farming stuff, you don't want to have continual inputs. So I was looking at uh, hay tarps just at some farm stores around here, but they were rather expensive and still kind of thin. Um, but then I stumbled online, um, old recycled billboard tarps, um, which are UV-treated vinyl, and they're anywhere between 8 and 12 millimeters thick. So... They're not really going to um, deteriorate or anything like that. They'll last for, I'm hoping, 20 years, and they don't really fray either. Um, you can cut little holes into them, maybe if you want to use them uh, as even a landscape mulch. Um, but for stale seed bedding, they work great. Um, they're black on one side. I think you can get them white on one side, too. But, yeah, they work really well. The weeds pop up very quickly, and then they, they die Um Although I do have some trouble with some grasses, I will say, even with the tarping, it doesn't seem to kill them completely. But flame flame weeding after the fact seems to, to help with that. Yeah, definitely stuff like um, it seems like couch grass can be pretty hard if you've still if it's still got some vigor to it when you cover it up. Um, so you've actually mm-hmm. okay. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about these used tarps in just a sec. But you've actually tried this technique and it's working for you. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty amazing. If you look underneath after four or five days, there's just thousands and thousands of weed seeds. And they're really yellow and really leggy. Um, and if you leave them on, in, in my experience, uh, just shy of two weeks, all the little weeds die. Um, and it's pretty incredible because what's left is just this nice black surface. Um, and then you can plant them too. Well, this, this any way you can get rid of weeds, like say for loose leaf lettuce or anything like that, really, um, I think it's a huge help. Totally. And this is good timing. I just pulled up. So I'm, I'm working with these tarps as well this year. And I just pulled one up that had a good long, like four weeks. And right beside it was the, um, an identical number of beds prepared the same way. So all these beds were composted and amended ahead of time, shaped you know, roughly shaped ahead of time. And then I, I didn't have enough tarps. So one section of nine 50 foot beds were tarped and the other section were left open. 
and I just pulled it back and it was amazing because the, the one left open, again, I've, I've, I've effectively done a stale seed bed just covered in weeds, uh, now getting quite large. Um, when I pulled the other back, just absolutely bare. But you know that they, those same weed seeds germinated, but they died. Um, so it's just it's saving me work now and I don't have to, I won't have to disturb the soil as much to to before I plant I, you know with this with this one without the tarp I'll have to disturb the soil a fair bit just to get those weeds taken care of whether I just scuff or whether I end up tilling a little bit but do, do you ever flame weed yourself I'm not flame weeding yet I haven't taken that step so I don't have that that option right now mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, I would recommend it it seems to work pretty well yeah, so that would be just if you do have anything lingering is to go over with the flamer and uh, and kill everything, hey? Yeah, well, even uh, if, say, you're, you're more pressed for time, um, um, and they're really vulnerable at that point. So you can just go through, uh, I have this, like, a little backpack thing that puts a propane tank on a little porch, um, and you just kind of flame the bed, and it kills those little plants. Um, so it just expedites the process. Right, right. Um, and what, where, like, what, what kind of flame weeder do you have, Yusuf? It's, I don't know the brand. It's just like a, a propane tank you'd use for a grill um, with the backpack and the porch. Um, it's pretty generic. It's not, I would like to have one of those that roll over the bed and have like multiple outlets, but this one's just really simple. It's a single porch. Right. Um, Anyway, it's funny as we have this conversation. I have two. I have a Quebecois angel and a Quebecois devil on my shoulder. Um, the devil I already mentioned. It's Jean Martin, and he's saying, "Yeah, go for it," and because this is just such an effective weed suppression technique. And the angel is uh, another former guest and uh, colleague and friend, Dan Brisbois, who is friends with Jean Martin, who doesn't I don't think he supports the notion of these tarps because he just thinks it's another it's an it's another need for more materials more plastic uh so he's mm-hmm. he's saying nah you don't need that and um he's kind of I think he told me I, I I'm paraphrasing him I'm not quoting him but I think he t- he told me he's getting tired of hearing all about these tarps and I think that's a fair criticism to raise but that's where it's just sure. it's that's where it's cool that it seems like you found um a way to recycle so let's get into that a little more I think the website I got at was just billboardtarps.com, but but you, you touched on a good point there. Um, you know, plastic use in agriculture is pretty significant, um, and if we can reuse, you know, materials that are already made, you know, so we're not making more being manufactured and all that, I think it's a great way to, to utilize that resource. Um, and um, you and like f- I was saying earlier, these billboard tarps will last forever. Why not you know, put them to good use on a farm rather than having them sit in a warehouse or a landfill or something like that. Right. So you're saying they're they're eight to twelve millimeters somewhere in there, which you which uh, is a really decent thickness in terms of durability. They're UV treated. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any concerns, Yusuf, about the? I don't know that because these are these are former advertisements, like the inks that like anything that could could leach into the soil. Sure. Um, I'm not super concerned because they're made to be weatherproof. So, you know, you don't ever really see a, a billboard, you know, the ink streaking or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I suppose if, you know, you're going to be using it over 20 years, there certainly will be some, some leeches or leeches. But 
yeah, I'm not thinking about it too much. I probably should, but I'm not too concerned. And um, you haven't mentioned the single best thing about using these tarps uh, other than the weed suppression. What is the extra bonus of using these tarps? Oh, right. Sometimes you get old, you know, random advertisements on one side. I usually have them face down, but like, I, I got a few of them, and one is like about eating fruits and veggies, which is pretty fitting, especially that you don't get to pick what advertisement you get. One of them's for like a, a tattoo expo. So that's pretty random. I have my fields. Some of my fields are are visible from the highway. So if I ever if I ever try sourcing this way, I guess like I could end up, you know, extending the life of the advertisement for like Viagra or something. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, that that'd be a good source too. Maybe uh, if you're next to a busy road, you can just put up a billboard on your property and you know just take all the old tarps that get put up there. And so, um, can we just go over dimensions and cost? What, like, what, what sizes did you find available? Yeah, um, they have quite a range. Um, the size I opted for, uh, they're 28 feet by 48 feet. Um, and for, for me, that covers about eight beds uh, with the dimensions I do. Um, the beds I, I work are, are pretty significantly mounded, though, because we have a lot of drainage issues with the clay so we we uh, made the beds kind of wider than kind of the standard um so ours are about three and a half feet uh, and we have about a two-foot walkway um but so we can get about eight beds covered and our beds are just over 25 feet okay where we do more high rotation stuff and um so okay so what did you pay for the you said 28 by did you say 48 yeah 28 by 48 and shipped to, to my door was around 155. Okay, well, really I can not that bad. I can say like for for some for some I've got some like 10 or 12 mil um, film that I'm using. I found black on black, uh, and if anyone's interested, like what what I ended up finding that's working the best is this uh, this this the, the one I'm talking about. Um, it's, it's haylage tarp. It's, 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 it's meant for dairy farmers or any other livestock farmers that are making hay into fermented hay, haylage, uh, and, and mounting up massive piles of it. And then you end up tarping it, uh, making it airtight in order for the fermentation to take place. So if you, if you Google silage plastic or haylage plastic, you can, you can find suppliers. Um, and definitely mine was a bit more expensive, not a lot more expensive, but, but it's, it's cool that you are, um, you know, I do think there's still lingering question. I think, you know, are, are these recycled billboard tarps safe to use in agriculture, just in terms of any leaching that can take place? Uh, I agree with you, Yusuf, it's probably not a huge concern or risk, but it's, it's worth, it'd be worth looking into a bit more. Um, but at any rate, what's cool about you using those is just that you're using recycled materials versus me using brand new stuff. And it sounds like your stuff will indeed last a long time. Right. So what were the prices like for the tarps you got? I'm trying to remember. I, 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 I just offhand, I think I bought a, a so quite a, a larger piece. Um, I got a 50 by 100 piece for about $300. So actually on a, on a, on a, on a square foot basis that I think that's cheaper than yours. 
Yeah, that seems actually uh, quite a bit cheaper than the billboard tax. Actually. Yeah. No, I think I, I think I think people can do their own calculation, um, but it, I think it is a fair bit cheaper. Uh, but that's yeah. good. I mean, the the diff. But I think it's relevant that your option is recycled. I think that'll matter to people, and it's also just good to have options. Um, depending right. on depending on where you live, it's going to be easier or harder to get the silage tarp, it, you know, I'm in a region with lots of dairy farms. So there's, there's suppliers around here. Shipping was cheap, that sort of thing. So, um, right. I know that was uh, one of the first options I was actually looking for, but at all the farm stores that I went to, the, the tarps that they did have just weren't thick enough. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and the price wasn't right. Yeah. Well, too, uh, with, with the tarps that you have, um, or what I have for, for that matter, um, that you can just get the sizes that are appropriate for the beds that you have. You know, because what do you do, uh, 100 foot beds yourself? I do 50. So I got the bot, the 50 by 100 so I could cut it down to 50 by 50, which is what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 50, 50 feet for me, given that I raise my beds a bit, I'm on two and a half foot beds on four foot centers. So when you, when you, when you crunch that, 50 feet gives me a little bit more than I need to cover nine beds, which just happens to be like I plant nine beds of greens every single week. So I've got blocks set up for that planting block. So it's just the perfect size, and and uh, Jean Martin is it really emphasizes that to make sure you get the right sizing so that you can move those tarps around the farm and they're really versatile. And that's that's what I've done, and, and that's working well. So yeah, it is really important. And and the thing is, the I should point out another nice thing about buying these silage tarps, haylage tarps, is um they're often customizable. So, so mine wasn't completely, but I had an, an option between 30 foot wide, 40 foot wide, 50 foot wide, and maybe even wider. And then like unlimited length, or, or at least I could get up to 200 feet length or 400 feet length, something like that. So yeah, it's good to know about that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I have one last question for you. Yeah, um, man. How do you secure your tarps down? Um, I have now, uh, I started out just using, I, I have, we happen to have a whole bunch of old fencing rails. They're, they're, um, lumber, like they're, they're, I think they were, um, spruce or cedar and they're like 12 or 16 feet long. And I was using those, but I, I've since just started taking the extra time to bury the, the edges of the tarp and I'm finding it way less stressful, a little more time to, to do that, but no, the, the wind is not a factor once you bury those edges. Um, and really to do my 50 by 50 foot piece, it takes two of us each with like a, a standard garden spade, like a standard garden shovel. We, it takes us 10 minutes to bury it. And that's, you know, I'm covering nine beds, each two and a half by 50 feet all in one shot. And I, I find that superior. And I've talked to one older farmer who pointed out that you're just going to get better heat underneath the tarp as well. When you don't have air blowing through. Because that's what's going to happen. Even if the wind's not going to blow your tarp away, if you've got weights, the, you're still going to be getting air kind of blowing through the tarp underneath and cooling it down. So that's been like that's worked with. Excuse me, that's worked really well for me. Okay, yeah, we we are uh, using old fence posts too. Actually, that's interesting. Um, I, so I have good enough. I have a rotary plow for my for my walking tractor. And I thought I was going to be able to like a rotary plow is really good at throwing soil to one side. So I thought I was going to be able to just like go around the perimeter of the, of the tarp and just blow the soil on to the edges. And I can, but it's, that's something that starts to get too disruptive of my other beds and just other parts of the garden. And it's easy to get too close to the plastic. And 
in the end, yeah. two people, you know, 50 by 50, 10 minutes. I'm just going to go with that. It's working and it's not very disruptive. So that, that's what we've been doing uh, the last little while. And uh, have you found like with the techniques you've, you've been implementing that that weed pressure has continually been decreasing or has it been about the same? Um, it's actually way too early to say. I have to say, Yusuf, like I'm only now five years into my business starting to take weed pressure seriously. And I was kind of feeling bad about that like the last couple of years watching the weeds be like kind of bad. And then my wife, Vanessa, made me feel a bit better and just pointed out like, you know, Jordan, you had higher priorities to learn and take care of first before you got to the position to, to be, to focus on your weed control. And I thought about it and I'm like, yeah, that was, that's pretty true. You know, like, um, first of all, it's just my style of farming. I'm not, I'm not a super detail oriented farmer, um, super methodical, but it's also true that, that I got, I've, I've like five years in, or this is my fifth year. Like I've gotten a lot of my other systems down. And, um, I'm now in a position because I've become more efficient to focus on the weed problem. So this stale state seed bedding, I'm just doing it in a serious way for the first year, first time. So I, I couldn't mm-hmm. say yet. I couldn't say. Okay. Well, I'd be interested to see the, the long-term results of that. Are, are you, uh, on a permanent piece of land now or are you still renting? No, I'm still, I'm rent. still, still renting. So that's the other thing. Like, um, it doesn't dampen my enthusiasm to like focus on stuff like this you know knowing that i might not be here for very much longer so you know say over two Mm -hmm. or three years i just kick ass at weed control and all of a sudden i've got like way less weed pressure i may leave right at that point (laughs) and then the person who inherits it benefits Mm -hmm. but it's still it's still it's still valuable just in terms of my mastering the techniques i guess and uh but but yeah um you know that kind of long-term investment could end up not really benefiting me too much uh, other than the learning that's taking place. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. Hey, folks. So a little bit further into our conversation, Yusuf and I started talking about his plans for having a market garden, and he was asking me about my market garden. And so, well, I'll let him take it from there. Yeah, I would like to be kind of on the fringe of the, the urban rural, like you know, that edge there. Um, so land prices will be kind of cheaper, but I still have access to those markets. Yeah. Does that sound about like your situation? Um, sort of. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, definitely. I would, I guess I should say definitely. Cause like, um, I've got, I'm not a, near any major centers, but I've got, you know, a city of 120,000, 30 minutes North oh, and, yeah, a, and a city of 50 big. and a city of 50,000, 30 minutes South. So mm-hmm. easily enough, at least in in the context of how many other veggie gardeners there are, which there are lots, but not so many that, that we all, most of us can find markets for our stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And see, that's the thing with the place I'm at now, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, you know, it's a great place for agriculture. In fact, like the, the area in West Michigan here is like the second largest, like microclimate for vegetables and, and agriculture in the U S besides Napa Valley. Um, but it's pretty saturated like with the other growers. So it's kind of hard to fetch a good price. Well, I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to give you false hopes or, or make false promises. I just like, I think to me, what that translates into is to me, is a, you can look at your, 
the business you want to start, the market garden you want to say, start in like two different contexts, right? Like there's 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 any given year that you're operating, and then there's the long term prospects. And to mm-hmm. me, what you describe is going to affect you year over in a, in a given year, especially your first year, right? Like there's no low hanging fruit. To me, that's what you're saying. There's no low hanging fruit, like like yeah. the market saturated. But you know, I just think there's a lot of promise in the fact that it's still only what is it i'm being arbitrary and inaccurate but it's got to be like between five and twenty percent of our urban populations are specifically buying local right like they're not there's just such a big part of the population that hasn't done isn't doing that yet and that's a potential market and um i I just think it means that we all, but especially those who are yet to get into farming, they're just going to have to try harder and hustle and be patient um, mm-hmm. and, and start meeting people a little more towards halfway. In other words, not, I think when you say the market's saturated, what, to me, what I translate it into without, without asking you more questions about it is that all the people who want to do like the traditional CSA are doing it. All the chefs who are already converted over to supporting local are doing it. Um, but that's where I think there's room to meet people just at convenience, like start making it more yeah. convenient for them. And I should say this is it wouldn't be possible without some of the cool technology that's being developed and made available to us all as small scale farmers. Right. Like, you know, the mechanical greens harvester and the BCS tractor and all this stuff that is just making us more competitive with larger agriculture. And suddenly we can start to charge those lower prices that allow us to compete and attract that larger percentage of the population for whom, who are like more price sensitive. Right. Um, and, Mm -hmm. and yet still make enough of a profit. So I don't know if I'm being overly optimistic. Um, no, I, I think you have you have a lot of good points there, and I think I'm actually trying to actualize that a bit with uh, you know the student farm, like with their campus dining. Like, you know, there's no way I could even charge like four or five dollars a pound to sell lettuce, you know, uh, to campus dining, even though that's more than fair price anywhere else. Um, but you know, for right now, I'm just basically giving it away for free just to try and forge that relationship yeah and get them like it, right so 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 at, at, well at the grand valley you know student farm that i manage um we just after like a year and a half two year process got approved uh to sell to campus dining mm-hmm. which is supplied by airmark so you know very very big you know corporation that's used to paying wholesale prices for everything. And, you know, what they're concerned with is the bottom line. Um, well, so now, just to initially start this relationship, I'm basically agreeing to whatever prices they ask for. Um, some of those were kind of grandfathered in by the last previous manager who had more of a conventional mindset. But... At any rate, um, I'm trying to just build this relationship with them to get them hooked to the quality of product we're producing. Um, so then down the road, we can renegotiate, you know, for more fair prices. And 
I think there's a lot of benefits on both sides to that. So, like, they get the benefit of this produce. They have a great story to tell, you know, so they can make more money. And then we get that publicity, too, and we can attract volunteers. So I think it's a complex relationship. But And it's, yeah, it's, it's, a compelling, it's a compelling approach. I mean, I know it's, that's a tricky one, right? Like, do you, do you potentially even lose money on your crop in order to, in order to, to, to give, give them the time to, to, to actually use your stuff and realize it's different. Cause I've seen that happen. I mean, I've seen those restaurants. I have the odd restaurant customer that doesn't charge the higher values, you know, like they're servicing, they're more like pub food. And so they're mm-hmm. the ones for whom it's much harder to, to buy my salad greens, but I've seen the odd restaurant like that actually use them and really appreciate that their shelf life is way better. And so right there, they realize like, well, is it that much more expensive? Because I don't keep opening bags and finding wilted, crappy greens that I'm throwing out anyway. Um, so, so realizing that quality can just mean more, like it's actually better priced in the end, like better economics, but also just quality for quality's sake. Um, so, yeah, I mean... I guess it's that sort of thing I'm, I'm talking about. That one, that one, your specific example is tricky just because um, a farmer should be getting, shouldn't be having to charge, say, less than, than the cost of producing it. Um, at the same yeah. time, as you point out, it, it'd be hard to get them to agree to ch- try your stuff out otherwise, hey? Eh? Uh-huh. Yeah, but see, that's where our, our situation is unique because at the Sustainable Agriculture Project, we're kind of subsidized by the university a bit um so like i i'm only part-time but i'm on a salary yeah and my salary isn't influenced at all by sale right 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 um at the same in the same breath like i'm still you know experiencing pressure from the university to make it a profitable thing but it's never been there in the past and it's been around for several years now but i think we're gonna get to that point because you know, we have a lot of things going in our favor. Right. But so with all that said, because we kind of have that extra advantage to where, you know, I have a bit more of a buffer, I think we're a good party to try and kind of infiltrate this institution, you know? Yeah, no, I, yeah, you, that, that makes, that makes sense. Yeah. Just since you're not, you're not in quite the same position as a, as like a, an individual for profit farmer. Um, right. You're so, almost, so you're I'm almost trying to make your case for, for that. Yeah, you're totally. No, you're, you're, I mean, what you could view it that way. You're, you're kind of, you're in a position to kind of, um, be, be the vanguard almost and perform a service that could benefit, <laughs> that could win over new customers for other farmers down the road, almost in some respects. Right. And hopefully I'm trying to create a bit of a hub here. Um, you know, so we can pull in all this down because like I've kind of mentioned before, West Michigan's agriculture is really thriving, but there's a lot of pieces that are disconnected that are really obvious connections um, that nobody's doing it. Like a lot of these farms that are doing good work need help, but there's no way for these, you know, educated people to get access to it. Like they don't know because usually farm work is word of mouth or, you know, random Craigslist ads or something like that. Mm-hmm. Cool, man. Well, Yusuf, um, next time you have a great idea, I hope you'll text or phone it in. Today sure thanks, thanks for coming back um, on the on the show. Always, man. always happy to be on here.
Okay, that's it. I hope you like that, folks. Yusuf, once again, is the farm manager at the Grand Valley State University Sustainable Ag Project. And he told me that if you want to get a hold of him, you can write him. Uh, it's one of those university-type email addresses that's kind of weird. D-A-R-W-I-C-Y-O. D-A-R-W-I-C-Y-O at gvsu.edu. Fill your boots with emails yourself okay that's it for the week uh once again you'll hear my wife vanessa on the way out here she is singing one of her original songs that she wrote kind of a whimsical one about moving out into the countryside i'm gonna shut up so you can listen to it thanks everybody and live life like it was meant to be trying to bleed us dry we could be happy with life in the country with salt on our skin and the dirt on our hands i've been doing a lot of thinking some real soul searching and here's my final resolve I don't need a big old house or some fancy car to keep my love going strong. So we'll run right out into the wilds and graces. We'll keep close quarters with gentle faces and live next door to the birds and the bees and live life like it was meant to be.